baptism is really, really simply this. It's an outward sign of an inward commitment. I've been following the Lord for a while now and don't know what took me so long to decide to get baptized. Trying to live for God isn't always easy, but it is certainly always good. my church family to know through my baptism today as 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. is such joy in celebrating baptisms, and uh, we've got a, a baptism service coming up in a couple of weeks, so we're very excited about that. There's a, there really is a lot of joy in celebrating the journey that we're on with Jesus, and that very public and, and uh, that witness that we have together as a church family, celebrating uh, a person saying, I am in, I, I want to follow Jesus, I want to be uh, his follower for the rest of my life. And so there's a lot of joy that comes from that, and it's a great segue into what we're studying starting today over these next few weeks. If you want to grab your notes out of your handout, we're going to be in the book of Philippians. We're just going to kind of go through the book of Philippians, four chapters, four weeks, and and there's so much joy found within. You'll just notice it coming up again and again and again. Uh, encouragements from Paul to be joyful, rejoice always. You bring me great joy. It's this viral, infectious, break the internet kind of joy. A little bit like a lady with a Chewbacca mosque. That kind of a joy, right? And, uh, and so we're excited about that. I do want to challenge you, Overlake, that we want to challenge you to jump into a reading plan. This series, also, we want to challenge you to jump in and read through the book of Philippians on your own, that you would do your devotional life out of this book of Philippians. There is so much richness in this book. There is so much meat, and, and it's just, we, we could spend the rest of the year on the book of Philippians, and, and so there's that much meat, there's that much quality to this book, so please jump in on your own. We always want to encourage this idea that we can feed ourselves spiritually through God's word on our own, so please join us in reading through the book of Philippians, and, and uh, we'll, we'll get some good meals here on Sunday morning, but my, my heart for you is that you'd be able to, to really enjoy the depth and, and the delicious uh, meat that God has placed in this book for us. So uh, let me jump in. Before we jump into the actual book, the letter that, that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, we want to do just a little bit of a background on how that church got planted in the first place. So let's, let's just jump in. We're going to be in Acts chapter 16 to start this thing. And 
What Paul had done as he's traveling up on his second missionary, uh, he's on his second missionary journey. He's with guys like Luke, who's who's writing the book of Acts, who also wrote the Gospel of Luke. He's with uh, Timothy at this time. Timothy's one of the guys that help him on, along his journey, and and so he is making these plans that he wants to go north into. Uh, Asia, it's a region at the time called Bithynia. He wants to go north into Bithynia and east into Asia. So Paul has this plan that he's going to keep traveling north and east into Asia, and that's where his missionary journey will go. But for whatever reason, God did not allow that to happen. The, the, the Bible tells us God prevented them from going north into Bithynia and continuing on into Asia. And it doesn't describe how God did that. It doesn't talk about how God shut that door or how God closed that opportunity. It just says that they were prevented from going up into Bithynia and into Asia. So I do want you to kind of wrestle with that reality. There are times when God decides, no, that's not what your plan is going to be, right? There, there are times when God has that prerogative, we, and we, we need to kind of respond how Paul responds in this passage. Okay, so it's Acts chapter 16. We'll start it in verse 9. It says this. That night, Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. We boarded a boat at Troas and sailed straight across to the island of Samothrace. And the next day we landed at Neapolis. From there we reached Philippi, a major city of that district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. And we stayed there several days. So from this passage, we can see that the challenge for us today, same as it was for Paul, and that is that we are to discern and follow God's call. That we are to follow God's call where it is that God is prompting us, how it is that God is leading us. And the reason why this is really relevant for us today is because there are times that we make our plans. And, I, and there's nothing wrong with making our plans. Paul had made some plans. And Paul, you know, he was, he was actually really good at making these plans and, and saying, this is what we're going to do. And then following through on his plans. Some of us, were really, really good at that. We create a sense of this is my life plan. This is where things are going to go. This is how it's going to progress. And there's nothing wrong with that. But there are times when God will prevent our plans from happening. Just like God prevented Paul's plans of going up into Asia, God will prevent, sometimes he will close opportunities, he will shut down uh, these avenues that we think we're supposed to go. God will say, no, no, that's not the direction for you. That's not the plan for you. That's not the call. And when that happens, here's what you and I do. Whenever we have plans and, and they're being thwarted, we instantly begin to cry and moan and weep and we're discouraged and distressed and depressed and, and we, we just think that the whole thing is over and I want to encourage you just like Paul was encouraged. No, no, it's not. It's a great opportunity to do what Paul did. Just sit tight. If, if, if you sense that God's shutting down an opportunity or if things aren't happening the, the way that you had planned for them to happen, just sit tight and wait on the Lord because God has a call on your life. And when you wait on him, you place your trust in him. You're saying, God, I trust that you know what's best for my life. 
I trust that you actually have a plan that involves me participating in a greater plan that will impact your kingdom. And so I'm going to trust that you know more about my life than I do. And I'm just going to sit tight until you open the next doorway. And so for Paul, what that was, was a call to this Macedonia region. Now, Macedonia is in northern Greece. So if you think of a map, the very north part of Greece, uh, that's where Macedonia is. And Philippi was the chief city up in this region. It was a Roman city, very, very important. The citizens of Philippi had exactly the same rights and uh, privileges that the citizens of Rome had. Now, Philippi is about 10 miles off the coast of Neapolis, Really, really beautiful area up there. Uh, in fact, in the picture we have of Neapolis, it actually shows the water. It shows the island of Samothrace, which Paul also mentions that they stopped at. Uh, we took a lot of these photos when we did our expedition uh, following in the footsteps of Paul uh, trip. And, and it's just such a great way for the scriptures to come alive. But the, the church at Philippi, it was right on the major road. The Via Ignacia was this major road that linked Asia to Europe. And so it was this incredible thoroughfare. This is where God had called Paul to go. And so, so he's up there with his team, and this is what happened when they got there. It says, on the Sabbath, we went a little way outside the city to a riverbank where we thought people would be meeting for prayer. And we sat down to speak with some women who had gathered there. One of them was Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshiped God. As she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart and she accepted what Paul was saying. She and her household were baptized and she asked us to be her guests. If you agree that I'm a true believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my home. And she urged us until we agreed. So what's interesting about this, we've actually got a picture of this riverbank where this conversation took place. They have, uh, they, they've saved it. It's a, it's a historical marker, and it's actually this really serene, beautiful region. They built a church nearby this riverbank. They have the area where they think that she was actually baptized. Just a great, great place to be. But what's interesting is Lydia had no idea how monumental her decision would be. She just knew that God was revealing himself in this person of Jesus Christ that Paul was talking about. And so she took a step of faith and she placed her trust in Jesus, that Jesus would take away all of her sin, that Jesus would cover her in grace, that she was entering into this relationship with God through Jesus. And so she just, this is one of those pivotal moments in history where she just says, yes, she had no idea how it was going to impact things. And, and I would just encourage you, maybe you haven't taken that step of baptism. You haven't said publicly, yes, I want to follow Jesus. I would just encourage you as well. You don't know how pivotal that decision can be. You just don't see where the generations go and, and these decisions to stand for Jesus, what they mean to our children and our grandchildren, great-grandchildren, how it impacts so many people around us. And and so here's the challenge. The challenge is what we see in this scripture, we need to celebrate all victories. Celebrate all spiritual victories. We need to celebrate every good thing that God is doing. And certainly this is a good thing that God was doing in Lydia's life as she trusts and follows Jesus, as she steps into the waters of baptism. And the reason why I encourage us to celebrate all victories is because really our vision is so limited in this lifetime. 
We don't know what God is cooking in and through our lives. We, we don't know sort of the grand plan that he is unfolding. And, and so we just have to celebrate all victories. Some victories are just momentary victories, so we celebrate those. Some victories, they really don't have massive eternal consequences, but we celebrate those anyway. But some victories, even though they might look small, even though it might look just incidental, you need to understand that some victories are pivotal moments that God is actually changing history with. And that happens to be this case right here. Because if you know this sort of the context, you, you need to understand that Paul showed up at this riverbank, the shady, beautiful riverbank, began to talk to some women there about Jesus and how Jesus has come for us and how Jesus loves us. And Lydia said yes. And she placed her trust in Jesus. Friends, she was the first European believer. She was the first person in Europe to say, yes, I want to be a Jesus follower. And then she said to Paul, I want you to come and stay at my house. You know what happened in her house? The first church in Europe was birthed. Lydia was the very first European believer in Jesus, follower of Christ. And, and in her house, the first church in Europe began. And friends, I want to tell you what the first church looked like. It looked like a life group at Overlake. That's what it looked like. And yet in that humble beginning, see, God was, was taking the whole trajectory of the movement of Christ followership. Instead of north and east into Asia, what happened is now Lydia becomes a follower. And because Philippi, it's right on the major road that goes from Asia into Rome and then from Rome into Asia. Rome, of course, all roads leading through Rome. And because of the, the course of Paul's missionary journeys as he continues to go west, ultimately ending up in Rome, that's where he gave his life for his faith. You need to recognize that in some ways, you and I are here today in a house of worship that we are gathered here today as followers of Jesus Christ because of the faithfulness of Paul to follow God's call and of Lydia to say yes and step into the waters of baptism. And they never could have known what it would have meant. But in that moment, it was, it was like that, that pebble that gets thrown that starts an avalanche. And because Lydia's faithfulness, because of Paul's faithfulness, within 300 years... All of the entire known world at the time had heard the name of Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's one of those monumental moments that at the time you couldn't have foreseen. That's why I want to encourage us to celebrate all victories. Okay, that's a bit of backstory. That's how the church at Philippi got started. Paul and his team, Luke was there, Timothy was there, some others were there. They, they start this church in Philippi, then they continue on in journey and uh, starting other churches as well, spreading the good news about Jesus. Well, now it's a few years later, and Paul is in prison. He's in a Roman prison. Timothy is there with him. They're stirred by God's Holy Spirit to actually write a letter, write a couple letters, but write a letter specifically to the church at Philippi for encouragement, to bring them new challenge, fresh direction. And so this is what the letter says. It says, the letter, this letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. 
I am writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the church leaders and the deacons. So you can kind of sense the context. Paul's hanging out with Timothy in prison, and he's beginning to pen this letter. And he says, it's to the church leaders and to deacons. So in our context today, if, if he was coming to us, it would be, this is a letter to the elders and to the pastors, the ministers, and to the lay leaders, to the volunteers at Overlay Christian Church. In fact, and to all of God's holy people uh, who are connected at Overlay Christian Church. So that's what he could have, could have written. Now, specifically at the time, you, you need to realize the church in Philippi, it was pretty small. The amount of believers in this region, they, they were pretty small, not incredibly numerous. And remember, how many churches were there in Philippi at this time? There was one. That's right. Just one church. So it wasn't like this consumer-oriented reality we live in in America, or if you don't like this church, you go here, you know, to the next one. If this pastor is just a bit too challenging, you go to one not so challenging. Like, th that, that does not happen in the first century. There's, there's one church. So when Paul says to all of the believers, what he's saying is everyone who knows about Jesus in this region, they're all connected to the ministry of the church of Philippi. And so that's why this letter is written to the church at Philippi. This is to the Philippians. And this is what he says. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. You might want to circle grace and peace. And as you go through the New Testament, you realize that this is always the salutation in Paul's letters. He's always starting. He's always offering grace and peace it's like nitrogen and oxygen for the believer. It's our atmosphere. This is the air we breathe as Christ followers. We breathe his grace. We breathe his peace. Unfortunately, some Christ followers don't breathe deeply enough. But we need to inhale it. We need to allow it to, to bring life into our body. Grace, if you want the definition. It's unearned favor from God poured out over our lives. That's grace. And it's, it's, it's found in so many ways, but in forgiveness of all of our sin, in all sorts of blessings that God just pours out and continues to pour out, in his love revealed to us that starts today and lasts forever, I, I want to tell you that the grace is so powerful for the, for the Christ follower. And then peace. What is peace? It's not God's favor. Peace is God's rest. It's his rest that's offered to us. It's rest that's found when we actually place our trust in him, knowing that he is powerful enough to hold the entire universe in his hands, let alone my specific circumstances. And so I have peace, resting in this good and loving God. Grace and peace to you. Friends, I want us to breathe deeply that grace and that peace. I want us to be people who understand grace and peace in the Lord Jesus. And then Paul shifts his thinking, begins his letter in earnest, and he reminds them, he reminds us today, that the heavy lifting is God's work. The heavy lifting spiritually in your life, the heavy lifting spiritually in their life, it's all God's work. And so let's just jump in. He writes in verse 3, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. 
And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Three words in that last sentence I'd love to have you circle or underline in your Bible. The word began, the, the word continue, and the word finished. Right? And, and what this means for the Christ follower is this, that God is just getting started in your life. God is just getting started. You and I, we are works in progress right now. And what he's saying is, look, God is the one who took the initiative. He's the one who took the first step in love. He's the one who started by calling out your name. He's the one who made you. He loves you. He's pursuing you. God is the one who began the good work spiritually within you, he says. And God is the one who's going to finish the good work. On the day when Christ Jesus returns, when we stand before his throne, we will be perfected. We'll be finished. We'll be made whole and complete, not lacking anything. And in the meantime, what does God do? He continues the good work. So God initiates, God sustains, God completes. All the heavy lifting is God's work. Can, can we just say thank you, God, right? That, thank you, God. That is so wonderful to hear. That brings such joy to know that the heavy lifting is God's work. And, uh, you know, I'm not such a baseball fan. Uh, some of you are baseball fans, so I offer this analogy to you in the grace and peace in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and the analogy may be something like this, that, you know, Jesus is like the, uh, the, the, the hot pitcher that you want to start the game. That he'll come out and he'll deliver four, five innings, it, just perfection. That, that's Jesus. And then Jesus is also like the pitcher that you bring in right after that, the one who come in and take those, those middle innings in a game and really end those quality. And then when you bring in a closing pitcher to just finish the game, right, to wrap up that last inning, Jesus is that pitcher as well. So he comes in. So, so just understand that Jesus, he's the one you want to start the game. He's the one that's going to carry the game in the middle. He's the one that's going to close the thing down at the end. And, of course, because it's Jesus, it's a no-hitter. Right? It's perfect. So, again, just an analogy. All analogies break down. But you just see what Paul's saying is, look, there is some work that you and I need to shoulder. But what great joy to recognize that the heavy lifting is being shouldered by the Lord himself. Okay? That's his work. And then he goes on. He says in verse 7, so it's right that I should feel about, or I should feel as I do about all of you, for you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. You know, Paul had a special love for the church at Philippi. He had a special love for the Philippian people. I think it's really safe to say that God, or that Paul rather, loved all of his churches that he was able to plant and lead, all of the folks following Jesus that he was able to influence for the Lord. I, I, I think it's safe to say that because as you read through his writings, you see that in so many ways he has this language of fatherly love and care, of, of that fatherly concern, that tender compassion as he longs to, to lead young believers into greater depth of maturity. You can see that through Paul's writing and all of his churches to the various, or all of his letters to the various churches. 
However, in a lot of his writing, what you also see from Paul is a sharp rebuke. That he brings incredible rebuke sometimes, incredible challenge. That, that he's not afraid to get stern or strict as he's giving instruction. But to the church at Philippi, you don't see that. You just see care. You just see compassion. You just see tenderness. You just see joy. That's why when he says, you have a special place in my heart. You just sense that there's, there's this additional area of love that God has opened up for Paul, as, as uh, Paul has for the church at Philippi. And as I read that and I think about that, I, I think I know a little bit about what Paul feels. Because Overlake, it's a little bit of how I feel about you. I am so very thankful that God called my family and I here 12 years ago that we've been able to be on this journey with you for the last 12 years. It has been such an incredible journey of joy for me personally. And I can honestly say I love you. I love your families. I, I love this incredible privilege that we've been able to journey together. And, and I know that God has incredible places to take us uh, you know, tomorrow, that we are continuing this journey. So, so I feel like I know just a little bit of that tender care, that, that love, that special place that they have in his heart. The other thought I had about this is that when Paul looks at the church at Philippi, when he sees these, these Philippians, he, he sees them through the eyes of faith. That he sees them not only how they are right now, but he can sort of see the potential that they have in the Lord. And he's, he's referring to them through the eyes of faith, that he's seeing them as they're being completed, say, by the Holy Spirit, as, as God's carrying them, continuing and, and perfecting them, he can sort of see the end product, and that's what he's I I interacting with. Does this make sense? And I was thinking this might actually be really helpful for us when we're interacting with one another, when we're interacting with other believers who may, maybe they don't think exactly the same way that we do. And so we find ourselves getting annoyed or impatient. What if we took a, a, the view of the eyes of faith? What if we looked at a, our potential and their potential and realized, oh, you know, we're going to end up in a really good place. So let's just, let's just deal with each other like that. You know, when you, when you interact with people, um, maybe on Facebook, who have a different political leaning than you do, and you're, you're tend to, you, you just want to throw a hand grenade, you know, the, the idea is, no, no, wait, 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 D you know, let, let's look at each other through the eyes of faith, let's look at each other with this idea that we're a work in progress, that God's not done with us yet, he's not done with anyone yet, so why don't we see each other through the eyes of faith and realize there will be this incredible harmony and unity that God is bringing us to. Why don't we interact with each other on that level right now? Heard a story that there was a, a young artist. He was being visited by a friend. And, and the friend came in and said, hey, what's this latest thing that you're working on? And the young artist said, this is my masterpiece. This is, this is the defining work of my whole life. He says, this is the best thing that I have ever done. And years after I'm gone, this is the thing that people are going to point to and say, that is, that is the summation of his work. And his friend said, look, I don't mean to be rude, but it's basically a white canvas with just a few paint colors on it. No form or like you haven't done anything yet. And, and the artist said, oh, yeah, I know. I, I misspoke. He said, I, I'm describing it to you how it will be when I'm completed. I, I'm just starting the painting right now. 
And he was, he was speaking of some potential reality. He was, he was seeing his own work through the eyes of faith. And I just want to say to you, you know, you are a work in progress with God. That he is creating a masterpiece with your life. But right now, we're at different levels of completion. We're at different stages in the journey. God's not done with us yet. And so we can not only have that grace over our own lives, but we can interact with one another as we see each other through the eyes of faith. Okay, so God's the one who's doing the heavy work. Doesn't mean we don't have work to do. And so Paul will go into that right now, verse 9. Here's what our work is. Our work is to grow in love, knowledge, and understanding. This is our work. This is what we lean into. This is what we can press into, that we would grow in love, in knowledge, and understanding. And this is what he says in verse 9. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters. Could you circle that phrase? I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. All right, a couple of things to point out in this passage. The first are the words, love will overflow, right? Overflow more and more. And this is where we're to grow. We're to grow in the amount of love that we have within our hearts. We're to grow in the way in which we share that love for other people, for one another, for those in our family, for those in our parish. We're to grow in the, in the directions that we share our love, that it's to overflow. We've talked about outlandish love. Now Paul's talking about overflowing love. That we would continue to grow more and more as we experience the grace and the love of Jesus poured out in us. That it would just flow out of our lives into our world. So that's one of the ways that we're to grow. And then the next way is that we are also to grow in knowledge and in understanding. Knowledge and understanding, and there's a little equation that you might want to recognize. It's knowledge plus understanding equals wisdom. Knowledge plus understanding equals discernment. And this is what Paul's really interested in developing in followers of Jesus. Not just knowledge. Now, there's nothing wrong with knowledge, and we're to grow in knowledge. But friends, remember that knowledge can puff up. It can create a sense of spiritual arrogance and pride. And, and so what we want to do is we want to be built up in our knowledge and understanding, in our wisdom and our discernment. Because, Paul says, with wisdom and discernment, we'll understand what really matters. And what really matters to Paul is that cycle, the cycle of our love growing and overflowing and our knowledge, our wisdom, our discernment continuing to increase. This is what really matters. Okay, so that's kind of the, the picture that he's painting for us. And then he's saying, so that, right, the, the outworking of this growth in love and this growth in discernment and wisdom, so that we might live pure, he says. Now, I want you to circle that word pure. In some of your translations, maybe you have the, uh, the King James or the New King James uh, it, it, it's, instead of the word sincere, it might say the word, or the word pure, rather, it might say the word sincere. Some of your translations, most of them say pure, some of them say sincere. And I realized this, I was a little bit interested, did a little bit of research on this. Check this out. 
It's not a literal translation of the Greek, and here's why. Because that word, if you want to literally translate it, in the Latin, it means without wax, and in the Greek, it means sun-tested. You might want to write this, like this is going to trip your mind a little bit. So without wax or sun-tested, that's what Paul's writing. He's saying, so that you, follower of Jesus, will be without wax, right? And so if we're just doing the literal translation, we're like, hey, yeah, I am wax-free today. That is not a problem. But here's what he's talking about. It refers to a singular reality in the first century, and that is that uh, pottery was made, the, <clears throat> excuse me, the potter would make a, a you know, a clay pot, a vessel, a bowl, a vase. And then they would discover that, that that creation, the bowl or the vase, it actually had a bunch of cracks in it. And, and so he knew he couldn't sell that vase for full price. So what he would do is he would take wax and fill in the cracks and then paint over it and present it as a perfect, perfect vase or a perfect bowl. Now... There was a way to determine if this was a, a, a worthy pot or a vase. And what you would do is you would just place it in the sun. And in the hot Mediterranean sun, after a few minutes, if the thing had wax, the wax would just melt right out. You could see where the cracks were immediately and you get a discounted price. And so here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, look, I want your life to be lived without wax. I want you to be sun-tested in terms of your relationship with the Lord. And, and, and for some of us, we're like, we look at our lives and go, oh, no, I, I can already tell. My life is, it's got a bunch of cracks in it. I, I, there's, there's a bunch of places where I, I have struggles and I, and I stumble in sin or I, I fall short. And I know that I've got these cracks. Well, friends, if, if, if you're confessing that, that's called authenticity. And if you come to Jesus with your cracks and you allow Jesus to take you where you are right now, you know what the Bible says? Love covers over a multitude of our sins. And Jesus comes in and he is the loving potter. He'll actually repair who we are. He'll actually take care of us and bring healing and wholeness to us if we allow ourselves to be sun-tested. But what Paul's saying is no good if we just go off on our own and try to cover over the cracks. If we just deny the fact that, that we are imperfect, deny the fact that we're broken in so many ways, if, if on our own we try to cover up or posture or we become defensive against or rationalize, we do all these things, then we're filling our lives with wax. And Paul's saying, no, no, that's not what I have for you. I want you to live without wax. I want you to be sun-tested. And so we place ourselves in the presence of Jesus, saying, Jesus, we need you. Make us whole. Forgive us and cleanse us. All right, it brings me to this, this next fill-in, and it's where Paul goes in verse 20. It's the fact that our life is united with Christ. Our life is united with Christ, and certainly Paul's was united with Christ. In fact, the, the phrase that he uses in the NIV is, for me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And the reason why Paul talks like this is because he knew that he was in prison awaiting trial by Caesar. He had appealed to Caesar. And he knew that execution was very likely a reality of a trial. Now we know that ultimately Paul did 
end his life with execution, that he did uh, lose his life in Rome. But at the time, Paul was just in prison, and so he's wrestling with what's going to happen. And, and this is how he's reflecting as he understands that he might be at the end of his days. He says this, For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. Right? For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between the two desires. I long to go and to be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. Wow, that's so good. That's so rich, this passage, as Paul's revealing his own heart to the church of Philippi, to us today. He's torn between these two desires, right? That, that on the one hand, he longs to go and to be with Christ. I remember, like, when I was in, you know, early on in my faith journey, I, I was like, Lord, I just, I, I feel so good with you. You could take me home now. That'd be great, you know. I was ready. Paul's saying, I feel like that. I'm I feel like I'm ready. But then he says, but, but for me to live is Christ. That for me to live means living for Christ. And that's how Paul lived. And that's the challenge for you and I today. That our life is with Christ. I'm reminded of a, a, a dear friend of mine. And many of you may know him. His name is Mel Carruthers. Mel and Kay have been a part of Overlake Christian Church for a long time. In fact, this is absolute truth that... They joined Overlake Christian Church in July of 1970, the very month that I was born. So they've been around for a long time. And they have been this incredible model of faithfulness. If you want to know what a, a long obedience in a singular direction looks like, just look at Mel and Kay. And they have been faithful. They have served in ministry at Overlake. Uh, many different capacities. Kay in a mentorship role with several of the young moms. Mel has served in many capacities, including as an elder here at Overlake. In the different seasons where Overlake would plant churches, Mel and Kay would go and spend a couple of years with the church plant, making sure that everything got up and running. Then they'd come back here to Overlake. Uh, in one season, this is what I, I'm so proud of the example that they set. In one season, they were challenged because Overlake was trying to build and to grow. And, and so the challenge was, you know, what can you contribute to this new endeavor? And Mel and Kay prayed about it. And then they went home and they refinanced their house and they pulled all the equity out of their property and gave it to the church so that Overlake could continue to grow and to thrive. I say all this because Mel has been like a spiritual father to me. In so many ways, Mel has believed in me, and, and he you know, puts his hand on my shoulder, prays for me before I preach here at Overlake. It's just been, an, it, it's just been such a, a, a beautiful friendship with a dear saint. Just about two weeks ago, Mel was diagnosed with acute leukemia, and the doctors are giving him days to live, maybe weeks. But that's it. He's, he's near the end of his faithfulness. He's... He's at sort of the, the jumping off place, maybe a little bit like Paul in this passage. And, and Mel and I have talked about this, and, and you know, he is certain that just like Paul, that, that 
being absent from the body for Mel means that he is going to be present with the Lord. And that he's, you know, so confident of his relationship, assured that, uh, and, and I told him this as well, that when his time on this earth is over, he'll be met in heaven with the words, well done, good and faithful servant. But I bring all this up because even though I am absolutely convinced that those are going to be the words that he hears when he enters into heaven, I want to make sure that Mel gets a chance to hear those words now. And friends, Mel and Kay, they're watching online. They're in hospice care right now at their house, and they're watching online. And I wonder if we could just thank Mel and Kay for their long service here at Overlake. Yeah. We love you, Mel. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. God bless you, Mel. Well done. Well done, friend. Thank you so much, you guys. You know, what Paul is describing of himself is true for all believers. If you go down to the last line, he says, I'm torn between these two desires, and I totally get it. I understand that he's torn between these two desires, the desire to go home and be with the Lord, the desire to live for the Lord while he's still here in his earthly ministry. And yet he concludes, but for your sakes, he says, it's better that I remain. And I don't think, you know, you read that, you're like, oh, man, it feels a little arrogant to say, oh, but for your sake, I'm going to stick around for a while. I, I don't think that at all. I think that Paul's in complete humility in this statement. And it goes back to the reason that Jesus, you know, when, when you become a follower of Jesus, he doesn't take you immediately up to heaven to be with him. Why? Because for the sake of others in your life, he wants you to live out your faith in their midst. For, for the sake of your family. For the sake of your friends, for the sake of your parish, Jesus leaves us in our earthly ministry. It's for the sake of others. Who are those others in your life that Jesus wants you to influence? You see, what Paul is saying is, look, I know he's leaving me here for a reason. That for the sake of others, I'll be able to continue to live for Christ and encourage others in their faith. And friends, that's a challenge for us. And then as, as Paul kind of wraps this up, as we wrap it up, the last thing we want to be challenged by is this, that we are to continue in boldness for Jesus. We're, continue, we're to continue in boldness. And Paul starts that passage by saying, look, I'm never going to be ashamed of the message of Jesus. I'm never going to be ashamed to share the love of Jesus. <clears throat> we know that in Paul's life, what they did in his imprisonment in Rome is they would chain a Roman guard to Paul. That that's how they would do it. He was like under house arrest, and all he had to do was just be shackled to this other guy so that they knew where Paul was at all times. And do you realize that every time they shackled a soldier to Paul, Paul led him to Jesus. And so the entire, the, the, the entire guard was changed because Jesus now is being followed by all these guards that get shackled to Paul. He just, he just viewed his whole life as an opportunity to continue in boldness for Jesus. And friends, that's a challenge for you and for me. Right? The challenge for us is to, to never be ashamed of sharing Christ's love. Never be ashamed of, of just loving radically in the name of Jesus. And, and I feel like sometimes this is getting really, really hard to love, especially if we're going to love uh, those on the margins, 
especially if we're going to love those that culture says, oh, no, you shouldn't love those. You should just ex you know, excommunicate those. Let's get rid of those. And, and we seek to love those. Right? Never giving up on relatives or friends that, that might seem like they're far from the Lord, but we just continue to pour out love. We should never be ashamed of that. But we should continue in boldness for Jesus. Over, like, there's so many ways that we can share the love of Jesus in our parishes. So many ways, even this summer, that we can host summer block parties, that we can, that we can open our homes, that we can do backyard barbecues, that, that we can share the love of Jesus with so many around us. And I just want to challenge you to continue in boldness for Christ. As I wrap this thing up, I want to bring it all to the singular word, and the word is joy. We started with that, and we saw those, bap those baptisms on the video. Now I want to wrap it up with this idea of joy. Because if you look at all the fill-ins that you have just gone through, understand that I believe what Paul is doing is he's giving us a blueprint for a joyful life. That we would live a life that follows God's call. Wherever it is. We wouldn't be bummed out or overly distressed if our plans don't work, but we would wait on the Lord and let him open the next avenue. Second thing is we'd celebrate all the victories. Every time there are spiritual victories in our life, every time there's spiritual victories in our kids' lives, our friends' lives, our neighbors' lives, we'd celebrate those because we never know which victory is pivotal and, and is going to change things for generations to come. That we would recognize that the heavy lifting is done by the Lord himself. We'd take joy in that. But we'd also take joy in our work, which is leaning in and letting love overflow, growing in wisdom and knowledge and discernment. That we would recognize that for us to live is Christ, that we live our lives with him day in and day out, that he's the one who's sustaining us and that we would never be ashamed, but we would continue in boldness. Friends, that is a joyful life. And that's the life that we are invited to live. But I would tell you, friends, we need Jesus' help to live it. So why don't we bow our heads and close our eyes, and let's ask him right now for that. Jesus, I want to thank you for the way that you have been the initiator of all good things in our lives. You've created us. You've poured your blessing out over our lives in so many ways. And you're the one who has pursued us in love. You're the one who has made a way for all of our sin to be gone, to be cast into the deepest ocean. As far as the east is from the west, you remove our sin and our stain from us. And we are so thankful for that. Your love does the heavy lifting in our lives. And we ask that you'd show us how we might live in joy with you. How we might love you, how we might live in you and with you, how we might continue in boldness as we follow your call. Jesus, help us to live in so many ways this life that Paul lived. Thank you for providing him as a model of what it looks like to be living filled with your joy, filled with your spirit, and committed, never ashamed of your love. That's the life we want to live, so we ask for your help. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Mm -hmm.